Well, hey, good morning. Great to have you here with us again and great to be with you. I'm excited about what God has for us in his word. So I um, ask you to join me and let's say a quick word of prayer together. Father, we're grateful even though we can't gather together physically for the opportunity to come and open up your word. And we're grateful we live in a day when technology allows us to do this. So, Father, thanks um, for this chance just to be together as a church and some folks who may just be checking us out. And we know that your word has truth and power for every season that we find ourselves in. And so I pray that even as we're watching this on TV screens and delivering it in front of cameras, uh, Father, that your Holy Spirit will take these truths and will encourage us today and challenge us today and teach us today. And so we're thankful for that. Thanks as we think about Jesus, that we have an opportunity to honor him and glorify him. And we want to do that. And it's in his name that we pray these things. Amen. Well, hey, uh, have you ever left something? Have you ever maybe left a, a job or maybe you were graduated from high school or from college or maybe you were on a sports team and your season came to an end and, uh, man, you were kind of wrapping up your time with your teammates. Maybe you moved to another town or left, you know, a place you've been settled. Have you ever left something and left people that you cared about? Well, in moments when I've done that, right, in moments when I've said goodbye to people and to places that I've been involved with for a while, I want to make sure that as I leave in those moments that I tell people what they've meant to me. I want to make sure that when I say goodbye, that when I know I'm leaving, I tell people how they've encouraged me, how they've helped me, what they've meant to me in my life. And I also want to make sure I do something else. I want to make sure that when I'm leaving, if I'm leaving a job or a role or an opportunity, that there's people coming behind me, I want to make sure that those people who are going to take over what I'm doing, I want to make sure that I tell those people who are going to take over for me what they need to do and how they need to do it and where the file is in the server and how you work the copier and how you make the copies. When I leave something, I want to make sure that I take time to tell people that I'm leaving things that I want them to know. And when I leave a role and other people are going to fill in for me, I want to make sure that I take the time to have passed on to them what they're going to need to know in order to do those things well. When we leave something, when you've left something or I've left something, many times what we want to do is we want to make sure that as we're leaving, we impart certain things to certain people. And the question for us, kind of as if we start a new series today and think about some new things, is this, were the things that Jesus, when he was in his final days and final hours, when he knew that his arrest and death were soon, were the things that Jesus wanted to impart to his followers? To those 12 disciples that he'd done life with for so long, were there words that he wanted them to hear? Were there lessons he wanted them to learn about what they needed to do when he left? What did he want to impart to them before he left. Well, there were some important truths. There were some important realities that he wanted to make sure those guys understood. And so we're going to kick off a new pre-Easter sermon series today. And we're going to spend some time thinking about that. We're going to think about what Jesus wanted to impart to people that he cared about and what he wanted to impart to those people who were going to take over his ministry and his job when he was done. We're kicking off this new pre-Easter series, and we're going to think about these things for the next two weeks. Our text today is going to be John 13, verses 1 through 15. Our text today is going to be John 13, verses 1 through 15. So if you've got a Bible, put your cup of coffee down, 
All right, put your little frosted flakes down. Go run and get your Bible. If you've got your uh, Bible on a device, on an app, you can go ahead and open that up. And if you don't have a Bible, right, maybe you're checking us out and just the Bible's not something you got laying around that you can Google John 13, 1 through 15, and you'll pull this passage up as you're getting your Bible or getting ready to follow along in our text. Um, Let me just kind of own something this morning, right? We're starting a pre-Easter series Let me just own what some of you may be thinking, because what some of you may be thinking this morning is, man, it is is really hard to think about Easter. Like, it just feels a little weird to think about Easter. We're starting this pre-Easter series, but it's just like you're not there yet. Let me just kind of own that for a minute, right? There may be some reasons why you're feeling that. Maybe for you, it's just hard to start thinking about Easter. It's hard for you to believe it's a ways away because, well, one reason, it's snowed, right? Earlier this week, a few days ago, there were snowflakes coming down from the sky, which is crazy, which does not make it feel like little Easter bonnet time. Maybe for some of us, it's hard to think about Easter because of everything with coronavirus going on. Man, we're just living like hour by hour. We're, we're just trying to figure out how to make it through that day, and it's hard for us to think about something that may be two to three weeks away because we're just living day by day, moment by moment. Maybe for you, it's hard to wrap your mind around Easter and to start a pre-Easter series. It just feels a little weird because as you think about Easter this year, many of the things that make Easter feel like Easter may not happen. You may not be able to have a big dinner with tons of family and friends gathered around in your house. That, that may not happen, and that's something that for you makes Easter feel like Easter. I mean, I guess we could have a Zoom Easter dinner, but we lose a little bit of the touch when we do that. Maybe something that makes Easter feel like Easter, right? And I hope it does, is gathering here at Calvary or wherever you go to church, man, hundreds and hundreds of people gathered together in a church and we're celebrating and we're singing and we're happy and we're clinging to hope and that's not going to be able to happen here together in the building. And so maybe for some of us, it's like, man, that just is hard because it doesn't make it feel like Easter. Maybe there's, there's no Easter neighborhood Easter egg hunts. Maybe it's hard for you to wrap your mind around Easter because you're just trying to make it through the day. Maybe the snow is like, bro, I still think I need to get my snowblower out. Maybe it's hard for you to get ready to hear a pre-Easter sermon series because what makes Easter feel like Easter isn't going to happen. And maybe it's hard for you to think about Easter because you're just drained. You're just spiritually, mentally, physically, emotionally worn out. And so to try to wrap your mind around Easter, it's just hard for you to try to muster up the spiritual strength to do that. There may be a bunch of different reasons why this Sunday morning it's a little odd for you to start thinking about Easter. But if those reasons are there, and if it's hard for you to think about Easter, and if you're feeling spiritually drained and spiritually worn out, then listen, there is no better thing for you and for I and for us to think about than Easter. If you're feeling like exhausted and drained and you're just missing hope, there is no better thing for you and for I to think about than to think about Easter. It's exactly what we need to think about in moments like this. And there's two reasons. There's two reasons why in moments like this that we're feeling and we're going through together, it's the perfect time to think about Easter. I guess there's three reasons, right? The first reason is because Easter's coming. 
and we would be a pretty lousy pastoral team if we didn't start to think about it. But in addition to that, there's two other reasons why, man, it's great to think about Easter, and here's why it's important. It's important because ultimately our hope for moments just like this is inextricably linked with the story and the truth and the reality of Easter. Your hope and my hope in moments like this is linked with the fact that Jesus came back from the dead. And since Jesus came back from the dead, that means that everything he said and everything he offered and everything that he did can be trusted and can be believed. And it means that you and I have a bedrock of hope in moments like this that's linked with and tied to the Easter story. And there's a second reason, a third reason, I guess, right, why it's good and important and necessary to think about Easter in moments like this is because the setting of the Easter story and the thoughts and the emotions and the feelings and the experiences of the men and the women who were going through that Easter story for the first time in real time mirror and track exactly what many of us are feeling today. The emotions of the Easter story are emotions that you may be feeling this morning. And so there's truth and there's benefit and there's hope that can come from looking at a story from a long time ago with people who were feeling and who were experiencing exactly what you and I are experiencing and feeling today. So, so what was the context of the Easter story? What's the background of this text that we're going to look at this morning? What were the emotions that were underlying it with, that we could maybe track with? Well, he, here's what was going on as we come to John chapter 13, as we come to the Easter story part that we're going to focus on today. It's Thursday night. <clears throat> it's Thursday night, and it's dinner time. And Jesus and his 12 closest followers, man, they're gathered together in a room around a table with some food for a meal. And for two and a half years approximately, these 12 men have been doing life together and they've been doing life with Jesus. For approximately two and a half years, there's been a normal pattern, routine, connection, community relationships that they've had, right? There's been norms, there's been schedules, there's been routines, there's been patterns. It's Thursday night at dinner time, and in just a few hours, man, those normal routines for these guys, they were going to get turned upside down. That sense of normal for them was going to end in just a few hours. And in just a few hours, in a moment, their lives we're going to be completely turned upside down. Their security, their expectations, their schedules, their patterns, in a moment, we're going to be completely turned upside down, literally, in just a few hours from what we're going to read about when Jesus would be arrested. There is nothing normal about what they are about to walk into, and there is nothing normal for them about what they are about to walk through. Well, what does that have to do with you and me this morning? Here's what it has to do with you and me this morning. In the past few weeks, there's probably none of us 
who've had a friend arrested and then subsequently executed by the state, right? There's probably none of us who have had the experience that these guys had, but even though we've had a different cause, the same thing for us is true that you and I have both lost a sense of normal. In a few short weeks, everything that you and I understood to be normal, so much of that has been totally upended, right? It's a different thing that has caused our lack of normal than what these guys had. But the reality is that both for the men in the story and for Jesus and for you and me, man, we're in a moment when there is a lack of normal, when there's a different normal, when there is no normal. What's different for the disciples and us is what has caused our lack of normal, but what is the same is that we're both experiencing a lack of normal. And what is the same for these guys who were experiencing a lack and a loss of normal, and what is the same for you and for me as we experience a lack and a loss of normal is this, that Jesus wanted them to know something, and Jesus wants us to know something. And in the moments when their life was not normal and when normal was lost, Jesus wanted them to do something and Jesus wants us to do something. What is the same is that the disciples and us lost a sense of normal and what is the same is in those moments when normal is lost. Jesus wanted them and us to know something and Jesus wanted them and us to do something. So what is it that Jesus wanted them to know? Knowing that in a few hours their normal is going to be lost and inverted, what did he want them to know? What did he want to impart to them? What does he want us to know this morning? Well, let's read verse 1 and we'll see it. This is how the story, this is how this Thursday night dinner begins. It says this, Now before the feast of Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of the world to the Father, Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. We see one word repeated there two times. We see having loved his own. He loved them to the end. On this night and in this moment and through his relationship with his disciples, man, he loved these guys. He cared for these guys. And on this, one of the last few hours that he was going to spend with them before he was arrested and then ultimately executed, his actions towards them, man, part of why he was doing what he was doing is that he wanted to show them and remind them and let them know, guys, man, I love you. I care for you. What he was trying to get them to understand is even though their normal was about to change, One thing that wouldn't change in that moment was that he loved them. And love is what motivated what we're going to see that he did here for them. And and love, Jesus' love, is what motivates the whole Easter story. Not just this incident that Jesus is about to do, but the whole Easter story is motivated and is driven by and is about Jesus' love for us. It is his love for us that caused him to be a substitute for us. It is his love for us that caused him to be punished 
in our place and instead of us so that we wouldn't have to be punished. This evening and all of Easter is motivated by the love of Jesus. And what Jesus wanted to do in these last few moments with his disciples is he wanted to act in a certain way and he wanted to do some things that were motivated by and in order to remind him of his love. Here's what to know when the normal ends. Here's what Jesus wanted them to know. Here's what we should know when the normal ends. Here it is. Ready? Jesus loves you. Jesus loves you. Maybe you hear me say that through your TV screen or computer screen or phone this morning, and I don't know what your story is. Maybe you're somebody that you, you used to go to church at some point in your life, but you've kind of been a while since you've been to church. You kind of checked out of it. You, you think there's a God, right? You think there's something bigger, but the whole church, the whole religion, the whole hypocrites, it just hasn't been your deal. It hasn't been your deal, but for some reason, in the past few weeks, this coronavirus thing, it's, it's gotten to you a little bit. And it's causing you to think about what matters. It's causing you to think about what security is. It's causing you to think about mortality. And for some reason, you've checked out this sermon this morning. And maybe, just maybe, the only reason you clicked calvaryefc.com and then hit play to listen to this sermon is because God wanted to remind you of something and God wanted you to know that you are deeply loved by Jesus. You are deeply loved by Jesus. Even though everything else around you has shifted, that has never, ever shifted. Maybe this morning that's not you. Maybe that's you, you, you haven't kind of walked away. But maybe this morning this, as you're listening to this or whenever you're listening to it, maybe you're lonely. Maybe you're lonely. And what Jesus wants you to know is in all the things that have changed, that have caused you to have a sense of isolation and loneliness, Jesus loves you. Maybe this morning you're someone who, man, you've come to church, you have a relationship, but you are just spiritually exhausted. You're done. You can't handle the ups and downs of the coronavirus and the good news and the bad news and the worst news and the what might you, you, you can't. You're trying to scrape for fate and your soul is just exhausted. And the truth of this text for you this morning, just like it was true for the disciples who experienced this moment with Jesus, is Jesus loves you. There are a lot of things that will change in our lives. There's a lot of things that have changed in our lives. There's a, there's a change in the world, right? Change in schedules, but just know and cling to the fact and remember that one thing that has not changed and one thing that will never, ever change, no matter what your story, no matter who you are, no matter where you've been or what you've done, is that Jesus deeply loves you. That's what Jesus wanted these guys to know on that night, and he wanted them to know that. And then there's also something more. There's something not just that he wanted them to know, but there's something that he wanted them to do. 
What did he want them to do? What did he want to impart to them as he is about to leave and he's about to hand off their ministry to them? What did he want them to do when their normal changed and when he was gone? What does he want us to do? Well, let's kind of keep reading and let's see what Jesus did because what Jesus did is linked with what he wants us to do. So verses two through five say this. Motivated by his love, right? Here's what Jesus did. During supper... When the devil had already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, he tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and he began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Let's get a little bit of... uh, Palestinian context and culture for us to try to understand what's going on here. Man, in this culture, uh, there were no Ubers, right? Uh, there, were, there were no Lyft drivers, no taxis to pick you up, so people walked. People walked on dusty, dusty roads, and they had their sandals on. And so part of hospitality in this culture was this, that when you would walk into a house for an event, Part of what the host would do to serve you and to care for you and to love you is that host would make sure that your feet were washed. It was a way to just honor you and a way to greet you. And so typically what happened is you'd walk into a house and the very first thing that would happen is somebody would wash your feet. That would either be a servant if the person hosting the party was wealthy enough to have some servants. The servant would wash your feet or if there were no servants, then the person with the lowest stature in the room, right? The person who was least significant, the person who on the org chart was at the bottom of the org chart, then in the absence of a servant, that person would kind of step up to be the one to wash the feet. The foot washing would happen the minute you came in the door. Boom! And, and it wouldn't wait until dinner time. but in this story, that foot washing moment hasn't happened. In this story, these guys have already sat down to eat their dinner together. There's a few reasons for that. There was no servant around when in the place and location where this dinner was being hosted. And and in the absence of that servant, man, none of these 12 disciples wanted to step up and wanted to serve and wanted to lower themselves in the eyes of the other person to be the person to wash the other's feet. These guys, a little earlier, a few days ago, they'd literally been fighting about who was the most important around them. And this group of guys who a few days ago had been fighting about who was the most important around them, there was no way in that moment any of those guys were going to step up and say, hey, you know what, I'll become the least of these. I'll become the least important, right? They weren't going to give away their leverage. They weren't going to lower themselves in front of other people. So they all sat around, Nobody was willing to serve. Nobody was willing to step up. Nobody was willing to do what needed to be done. Because whoever was going to do that was going to admit that they weren't as important as the other people. And what does Jesus do? In the absence of anybody serving, in the absence of anybody stepping up, in the absence of anybody willing to meet the need to care for other people, what does Jesus do? Jesus totally inverts the whole org chart. He totally inverts the whole power structure, the leader, the teacher, the guy in charge. Man, man, he was humble enough and he cared enough and he loved enough to in that moment serve them. 
to in that moment meet a need. In the moments before their normal was about to completely change, in those moments Jesus was willing to step in, to stand in the gap, to be willing to be humble, to care for them, to serve them, to meet the need. And the interesting thing is this. You know what? Jesus even served his enemy. Jesus even served Judas. Jesus even washed Judas's feet, the guy who was about to betray him. And from what Jesus did, what does he want his disciples to then go out and do as a pattern of their lives? From what Jesus did, what does he want you and what does he want me and what does he want us to go out and to do as a pattern for our lives, even in those moments when our lives are anything but normal? Well, let's jump down to verse 12. And he tells us, Jesus says this, when he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, so, so he finished washing up, he put back on his robe, he sat back down at his chair, he grabbed his cup of sweet tea, and he said to them, do you understand what I have done for you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. And then, man, circle, underline, highlight, copy and paste, do something to this next clause. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done for you. Now, let's kind of understand that because some of you may be thinking, holy cow, does this mean like the Peter and the rest of the pastors are going to roll up at my house and in some appropriate socially distant way or they're going to like try to wash my feet? Let's make sure we understand what Jesus is doing here, right? In this culture, foot washing was a way to serve people. And Jesus is not mandating that act upon every culture. Jesus is not saying that in every culture for every time people must wash each other's feet. But what Jesus is doing is saying that within every culture and within every moment in time, his followers must be willing to serve other people. He's not mandating that we all wash each other's feet in every culture, but what he is mandating is that we all, within our culture in which we find ourselves, find ways to serve one another. This was an example, a model that Jesus set for them, and an example and a model that Jesus set for us. And what Jesus is reminding them is, guys, I'm about to go. I'm about to go. And your life is going to be turned upside down. And for a few weeks, guys, you're not going to know what's happening. But even in those moments, what I want you to remember is what I've done for you. And I want you to serve other people. And in the new normal that comes after this period of my arrest, guys, what I want you to be known for, part of what I want you to be about as followers of mine, is I want you to serve and care Here's the second thing. Here's what we're to do when the normal ends. Here's what we're to do. Serve others. What Jesus wanted us to know is, man, in life, in moments when it's normal and in moments when it's not normal, I love you. And what Jesus wants his followers to do in moments when it's normal and moments when it's not normal is he wants us to serve other people. 
serve, care for, fill the gap and meet the needs for other people. So let's kind of press into that for a few minutes. Let, let me just kind of take a minute and let me tell you, and it's, for most of us it's just a reminder because you've probably already heard this two or three places, but I'm sure there's a few people who are kind of just catching up to speed with what's going on at Calvary. So let me just tell you some of the ways that as a pastoral team and an elder team and a leader team, we've set up to care for you during this crisis. And then after that, let's think about ways that you can care in places in which you find ourselves. Here's some ways that we've cared for you, right? We, we said it early on and repeated it, but as the number of folks who come down with coronavirus and the tests come back positive, as it increases, we remain willing to provide care for you in ways that are we able to. And so if COVID-19 becomes part of your story and you're impacted by it, what we've said to you is the best way and the quickest way to notify us is by a phone call. I know it sounds weird because we push most of our stuff through email, um, but for a variety of reasons, this is the quickest way to make sure you get a hold of somebody who can directly engage with you in this. And so a phone call, you can call the church office 203-268-3750. 203-268-3750. If nobody answers that, there'll be a second number, which is an on-call phone. And so Man, we want to make sure that in the moment that you have a COVID-related need, I mean, we only have so many resources, but man, we can always pray and we want to make sure that the resources that we have and the capabilities we have, that we can provide care for you. And so we want to make that available for you to call us. A second way that we are providing care for each other here at Calvary is started on Thursday. And on Thursday, we kicked off an online prayer time for 15 minutes from 9 o'clock to 9.15. If you missed the announcement on that, then every Tuesday and Thursday from 9 o'clock to 9.15, we're having a virtual online prayer meeting through Zoom. One of our pastors or one of our elders will, faci will facilitate that. And I think we had 30 or plus of you participate in that this past Thursday, which is great. And so if you want to Submit some requests if you want to engage in prayer, if you want to help care as a body in that way, then I'd encourage you to jump back on our website and on the homepage uh, that you land on, you're going to see at the bottom some information about how to access that and we'd encourage you to do that. As we've said before too, we want to care for your kids during this season and we've been working really, really hard to roll that out. And so starting next Sunday, we're going to roll out some virtual Sunday schools for elementary age students uh, and perhaps some student life students and we'll be giving giving you some more information about that. But we want to really be cognizant that for our kids and for our students, man, this has been a curveball. And this is as hard as it is for us as adults to process this, it is equally hard, differently hard, but equally hard for our students and our kids to process it. And we care about them. I mean, they're the next generation, right? They're the future leaders. They're the future, they're the followers of Jesus who we're going to pass this torch to, and we want to make sure that we're caring well for them. And so we're going to start to roll out some virtual Sunday schools and things for them. So we'll be watching our emails this coming week. Final way I'll just hit this this morning that we're trying to care well for you as a church, in, in case you missed the announcement last week, but we're staying closed. We're staying closed because we want to do everything we can to keep you safe. We're staying closed because our governor has said that groups of 50 can't meet until April 30th. We're staying closed because the CDC has said we should have distance between us. And we want to honor what the authorities are telling us. And we want to care well for you. And so part of how we're doing that is our buildings closed, our activities, except for these online things we're rolling out, 
have been shut down. Those are some of the ways that you've probably already heard, but I wanted to remind you that we're trying to care for you during the season. But, but enough about Calvary. Let's talk about you. What are some ways that in this moment you can care for some other people? Man, we're all, lots of us are stuck at home with our family, stuck sounds pretty negative, so I'll rephrase that. We are clustered at home with our family. Here's the question for you. When you're clustered at home with your family, man, how can you serve your family members who are in those houses with you? In this new period of normal, which is stuck in our houses, essentially, what does it look like for you If you're with other people, if you don't live alone, what does it look like for you to sacrificially serve and care for other people in the house? Spouses, if you're married. If you're married this morning and if you and your spouse are together in the house, man, what does it look like for you to care well for your spouse? And let me offer just kind of one suggestion, one thought. Um, I know that by now, I know that some of the people listening to this, your family has been impacted by some furloughs, by some layoffs, by some job change. And man, that is stressful. And I'm sure that's causing you anxiety. And in normal moments of financial anxiety, it can create a lot of stress between spouses. But when those spouses are under the same roof and essentially can't leave, Man, it's just kind of potentially throwing some gasoline on the fire of stress. And maybe you're here this morning and your spouse has had some change in their job. Maybe you're here this morning and both you and your spouse have had some change in your job. Man, and I bet there is stress building and tension and I just want to challenge you with this. Here's one way that you can care for each other. It's this. You're partners in this. You're not enemies in this. You're together in this. And I would just challenge and encourage you as you walk through this stressful moment, what are ways that you can encourage and what are ways that you can give grace to each other and avoid building on the stress and avoid building on the blame and avoid ramping it up. How can you care well for one another? One way that you can care well is knowing that you're in it together. You're partners. You're walking this chapter together. Don't walk it separately as combatants. Kids, I know there's some kids listening to this sermon. Kids, man, what does it look like for you to serve other people in your household when you're there together? What does it look like for you to serve your mom or your dad or your grandma? Maybe what it looks like is you know there's chores they want you to do. Sorry, I know I'm being the bad guy. Don't hate me. You know there's chores they want you to do, right? Maybe one way you serve them is you just do it. Don't make them ask you to move your laundry or fold your clothes or clean the bathrooms 4,200 times. Believe it or not, most parents don't like nagging. So man, don't make them nag. You can serve your parents by stepping up and just doing the things that you know would be helpful to get done. How can you serve your siblings? Right? How can you serve each other in fighting over the one video game or the TV? What can you do to give to one another in these moments? Parents, how can you serve your children? You know, maybe for some of us as parents, one way that we can serve our kids is, man, we need to just lighten up a little bit. 
When this whole thing started, we had the dry erase board. Well, not like figurative we, not literal me in my household. But for some of us as parents, when this thing started, we had the dry erase board. We had the schedule from 7 to 702 and then 702 to 707. I mean, it was like the Marines, right? And that is, I get that, but man, you're, our, man, some of our kids are withering. And some of our kids are trying to process this. And some of our kids have had their expectations and their hopes for this school year dashed. And for some of us as parents, maybe some way that we serve our kids is we just lighten up a little bit. But then for others of us as parents, maybe we need to do the opposite. Maybe we've been really light and really easy and we haven't had any structure and that's not helping our kids. And so maybe for some other parents, the way that we help our kids in this moment is to give some structure one way that all of us can serve each other as family members is we can encourage each other. How can you encourage other people in your household this Sunday afternoon? Maybe the group that you serve isn't necessarily your family, but there's other groups that need to be served. How can we serve friends or people that you might know who struggle with anxiety, with depression, Man, this isolation, this loss of routine, this unknowns, man, for many of friends and people who you may know who struggle with mental health issues, man, this is a really, really challenging thing that's compounding the issues with which they struggle. And if you know somebody who struggles with depression or anxiety and they've let you into that journey, the question then becomes, how can you care for them as they're feeling isolated? as they're feeling anxious, as the routines that gave them some comfort have been stripped away, what does it look like for you to reach out and care? How do we care for friends or people we know who are paralyzed by fear? Right? We're to be people of hope. Christians are to be people of hope in some ways in which we care is by giving hope to other people. So how can you and how can I, in a non-cheesy, actually helpful way, give hope? to some people who this morning who are just simply paralyzed by fear. How do we serve? How do we care? What does that look like? What Jesus wanted his disciples to know, what he wanted to impart to them before he left, in the hours before their normal disappeared, what he wanted them to know is that he loved them, and he loves you. What he wanted them to do in the moments when the normal was gone and the moments when a new normal reserved is he wanted them to serve. And in this moment, that's what he wants us to do. This is a moment to be and to do the things that Jesus wants his followers to do. This is a moment for us to be the body of Christ and the hands and feet of Jesus in Fairfield County and beyond. This is a moment. And what I would love for us as a church, and what I would love for me individually and what I would love for you individually is this. I don't want us to look back on this moment and to say, I wish we had. 
What I want us to do is to engage and to serve and to care based out of Jesus' love for us. And I want us to be able to look back on this moment and say, I am so grateful that I could serve. And I am so grateful that I did. I don't want us to look back on this moment. This is a moment. And I don't want us to look back on this moment and say, oh man, we had a moment. We had an opportunity. I wish we had. I want you to be able to look back on this moment when the moment ends and the moment is going to end. There is something beyond this on your side. I want us to be able to look back at now and say, man, I'm so grateful that I could serve and I'm so grateful that I did serve. We have a choice. We can build our life on faith in Jesus' love, and we can serve others in this moment out of that, or we can build our life on fear and be paralyzed in this moment because of that. Which one is it going to be for me? Which one is it going to be for you? And which one is it going to be for us? Let me pray. Father, thank you for these words that Jesus wanted to make sure his disciples knew. Thank you for reminding them that when everything was about to change, the thing they needed to grab onto was that Jesus still loved them and that in those moments there were still things that Jesus wanted them to be about. He wanted them to be about serving people just like he served people. And Father, I pray that in this moment, you will help all of us to build our life on faith in Jesus' love for us. I pray in this moment, Father, we will not build our life upon fear. And I pray we'll be asking you and looking for and purposeful and intentional about ways that knowing your love for us, we can tangibly and helpfully serve and care for other people around us, even if those people are people in our same households. Father, we would love for you to look back on how we act in this moment and for this to be one of those moments when you look at us and say, well done, you good and faithful servant. And so, Father, we need your help, we need your peace, we need your spirit, and we confidently ask for those things in this moment. And we thank you for who you are. Amen.